said it all out right here. So it's, uh, it's very nice to be back here. This is my third time to come here now. The first time was, uh, I think maybe the very, very first time that this group met here, right? Um, or, uh, Isabella had asked me to come and give an opening blessing. So it was very nice to come at that time. And, uh, uh the last time I was here, as, uh, as we were driving in, I was remembering that the last time I came here, I didn't drive in. I walked. And it was after several days of walking, um, I think on Memorial Day. So uh, there were several of you who were here tonight who were here then as well. And, uh, that was quite a time. Uh, in case any of you uh, who are here now weren't here then, uh, I left a very comfortable Bihara for uh, 10 days to walk around the South Bay. Uh, a circular pattern, and um, um, as it was around the time of Memorial Day, actually these walks are, are often called peace walks anyway, as it was around the time of Memorial Day, it seems very suitable uh, to offer, uh, I'd like to make a dedication of that walk uh, to everyone who had ever suffered the, the pains of war or, or violence whether externally in the world uh, with others or, or internally in our own hearts. So it seems very appropriate around that time uh, to, uh, to offer that walk as such a dedication. I think we arrived here on the seventh day, after seven days of walking. This time it took only how long? Maybe four or five minutes? <laughs> Seven days on foot. Uh, it was a really a wonderful experience. I'd done that in Asia before and was very, very inspired by it. And uh, my first time to do it here in the United States. Um, and uh, also a little different, a little different than in Asia. Uh, truly, uh, truly an incredible experience. I would recommend it to anybody uh, who, who has the inclination to do such a thing, uh, to, to leave the walls behind for a few days and get out and, uh, and, and take a good walk. Um, people ask where we would be walking and imagine different beautiful natural places. Are you able to hear all right? Should I, should I move the mic? Okay, thank you. People imagine different uh, natural places to walk, uh, beautiful places around here. And we're very surprised uh, at the idea that we would walk on the streets of the Bay Area. Yeah. And it's the cars and the pollution and the traffic and the noise and everybody rushing around and all of that. Of course, it's not legal to walk on the highways, uh, but we walk on some pretty busy roads. A very, uh, very illuminating experience. It was nice to be here on Memorial Day. So when Shiloh wrote to me about her idea for this, uh, for this series on freedom, I got it by email. I do read email sometimes. Although not as quickly as everyone might like me to. Um, 
And in the subject line, all it said was freedom. And I remember looking at the mails that had come in that day and just seeing that one that, uh, that, that just had freedom. Other things said, like, schedule for this day or that day or something. But this one, this one just said freedom. And I remember seeing the word there. And um, this funny kind of very special thing happened. I'm just resonating with, with the word, just seeing it. And, Freedom. A very wonderful thing happened. And I was glad to open up the mail and see see what it was. It was from Charlotte, and I thought, oh, maybe she's become completely enlightened. <laughs> and, uh, not, not that she's not now. I'm not saying this is wrong, but I, I thought, oh, maybe this is her. <laughs> and she sent it to me by email. Oh, yes, in modern times, of course. <laughs> Freedom. Uh, and in that imagining, I had such a wonderful feeling of joy in my heart. Real, real joy. Ah, oh, how, how wonderful. And a true joy that, that lasted actually for, for several hours and even into the next day, I think. Just resonating with the word freedom and the idea, ah, oh, another friend was becoming enlightened. Free. <laughs> just uh, just with, with the gladness in their heart. I was impressed by the power of our mind at that moment. How a single word, how a single idea, when we bring it into our mind, can contribute so many things, right? And what effect there was in the mind. Uh, what, what was triggered in that brief contemplation of freedom? Just that word. I would say the word war. What kinds of images immediately come to mind? And, and if you practice mindfulness of the body, what is the kind of effect in the body as the idea becomes chemical hormones, which flood through all the cells and everything? There's, there's this cascade of effect. Or for those who have attended a retreat on loving kindness before, like the one that you have coming up, who's practiced with loving kindness or metta, or even even say the word, the cascade of effect in association. So, because of the wonderful effect of the word, I was. Is it predisposed or inclined to come this evening? Um, we just finished our three-month summer retreat a couple of days ago, this last full moon. During the summer retreat, we had periods of all-night meditation, all-night meditation vigils on every new and full moon. It's a wonderful thing to do. It's like a day-long meditation retreat, except for through the night, so everything is clear and calm and, and clear, and under the full moon bright, and under the dark moon just dark. But the society is very calm down, so even if you do that, like right in the midst of the city, it's still quiet as if you were, as if you were out in the forest or something. So. 
just a little bit more than two weeks ago on our last online meditation time. In preparation for coming here, I thought, oh, I'm going to be coming down to Inside Meditation South Bay just, just after the next moon. And um, how about dedicating this evening? What, what shall I talk about? How about, how about dedicating this evening's meditation to just to looking into the subject, to looking into scripture? And um, I have to say, I think it was one of the most beautiful evenings that I've ever spent. It's beautiful in terms of uh, space of mind, I think, uh, just for, for, taking, for taking a night, for taking a full evening, uh, to look into freedom. I would recommend even five minutes. Besides the beauty of the temple and uh, the trees and the night sky and, and having a fresh, clear time, you know, just just to meditate together with friends. Uh, besides the beauty of all of that, really the beauty of discovering that um, I think 20 years ago when I entered into this monastic life, oh, actually this is year 18, it's not going to yet. That the ideas that would have been there about freedom at that time, many of them would have been like very strong ideals, and the disappointment of those ideas, a lot of controversy. When I thought back on that time, it's almost like I could feel the tugging in my body and heart, and like a kind of a war going on, oh, a, a struggling between the ideals and uh, and what I was seeing in society. And, uh, and the world, and a great, uh, a kind of a great controversy. Thinking back on the old associations that would have been there, a lot of them would have been really hard. But I realized, ah, at this time, seeing that subject line, it's not the case. That uh, disappointment of ideals, that, uh, that, that kind of controversy, it's pretty much clear. Amazingly, wonderfully. And oh, oh, this is really, this has been one of the benefits of this time. How oh, nice. A lot less struggle. Although the training in monastic life certainly has had its times. <laughs> It's not always an easy training, not always without struggle. Although most of the struggle is really, you recognize that it's in, in our mind. You know, that's, that's where a lot of it is happening. Of course, it can be hard to get up early in the morning and, and hard to sit, sit for long hours for meditation and um, hard to eat whatever food is and being given and, and all of those things. Those things can be physical struggle, right, for anybody. But uh, really, the, the true struggle that's very hard is the struggles that we experience in our heart, you know, in our mind. Compared to walking 100 miles, 10 days around the bay with blisters and you know, being hungry or uh, any, anything like that, the struggles of the heart are, are far, uh, nothing, nothing in comparison. So I would like to talk about 
two kinds of freedom this evening. Actually, they have two different names, but they're not really different. They're two different approaches in practice, but they really they really come to the same to the same thing. The first one is the freedom of non-grasping. Does this sound familiar? The freedom of non-grasping, or the freedom of release. When um, I studied Zen a little bit in the past, I'm sorry my voice is so soft. Uh, I've got a little bit of an allergy, kind of a sore throat, so I really normally don't use a mic, but I'm very glad to have the mic. Um, one of the great old meditation masters in China, uh, known to some as the fourth Zen patriarch, in China, the teachings that he had, that he passed down, that he left and passed down to later generations, there's a kind of a poem called uh, Faith in Mind. It's been published in a book called Faith in Mind. And the very first line goes, the great way is not difficult if only you don't pick and choose. It's been translated variously. Another translation would be, if you set aside grasping and rejecting, the great way is not difficult if only you don't pick and choose. And the freedom of non-grasping, looking into this, actually the grasping and, and the rejecting, it seems like they're two different things, like grasping is normally associated with what we like, with what we, what we love, what we want, what we want to get, what we want to have, what we want to keep, despite all things being impermanent. And the rejecting is normally what we don't like, what we don't want, what we don't want to have, what we really like to be far, far away from, get rid of this planet. Not on not on my time. So um, it seems like they're like they're very different things. And the, the grasping is what we really what we're all trying to get, right? Really trying to get the good things and get rid of the bad things. And that sounds good, isn't it? That's the one of teaching, right? <laughs> to cultivate hope and practice with me to happiness and and stop all the things that cause suffering. <laughs> Isn't that grasping and rejecting? <laughs> Isn't that so? Does that seem right? So it does it. Actually, the grasping and rejecting don't uh, don't seem so very different if you look at them in a different way. If you practice uh, the meditation and mindfulness of the body, or if you learn body scanning, or uh, like scanning the body in preparation for observing the breath, mindfulness of the breath, 
then you might notice, observing this for some time, that the motion in the heart or the motion in the mind and what happens in the body uh, with, with grasping and rejecting are, are not that different. Not, not so very different in some sense. It's like, kind of like one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes, but it's like there's, there's some kind of motion like this in the mind. It's not, not completely still and stable and, and, and balanced, but there's this thing going on. Like grasping and rejecting. Um, I don't know if any of you have observed this before or not, but observing it very, very, very closely, especially practicing with mindfulness, I think. For many friends, uh, when I've listened to their experiences, and also in my experience, one of the first times that we may experience a real sense of freedom in meditation is through the practice of mindfulness and being simply completely aware in the present moment, whether you're sitting or standing or walking or even lying down, but just being completely aware and, and aware without, without judgment, without that, that quality of grasping and rejecting going on. When that happens, the heart, the heart becomes very balanced and stable. That kind of uh, that, that back and forth, back and forth, um, that that stops for a while. Or at least it's uh, at least it's calmed down, and all of the senses become clear. The eyes become clear. The ears become clear. And smell, taste physical sensations. People say that they often notice it in their eyes and ears first. I think that's because we're so eye-oriented, so, uh, so strongly associated with our eyes and form. That's normally the place that people observe that clarity and sense of balance and peace and freedom first. Looking out, the picture looks like there are no ripples not divided. The eyes become very, very clear in that, uh, in that, in that steadiness, that balance of mind when we're not grasping and rejecting. There's the feeling of openness, almost like even those who don't wear glasses, almost like you're, you're looking at things through a lens and through a frame all the time in the ordinary way that we're seeing things. You may be in dusty glasses with broken cracks in them or something. But it's, it's like it's like taking off the glasses and the frame the frame disappears. You know, that that distortion. When there's distortion in our mind, it even appears in our senses. And physically, visually what what we're seeing. Whether we see clearly, whether we hear clearly. So it's like taking away that that frame. This connects to the second kind of freedom, which I'd like to call the freedom of non-self. Having an intuition of or direct direct perception of non-self. And that's normally what the frame is. And a big part of that all of the distortion is 
like what it's connected to, what it's bound to. There's a sense of exhausting and rejecting, being, being tied to something, bound to something, coming out from somewhere, and that pulls like a sense of odd. I, my, me, and mine. And that's, that's like the, the frame and uh, the, one, of the big, one of the big distortions. And it's amazing that by the practice of mindfulness, not grasping, not rejecting, and just coming to a really full and present awareness, and the beautiful feeling that that is, the great sense of spaciousness, openness, calm, clarity, peace, and freedom that there is in that has to do with the disappearance of that sense of, of the frame and of grasping and rejecting, tied and bound to something, for something. The first time that I took an all-night meditation time was maybe about 17 years ago. It was the first time, actually, not the second time, but I attended a three-day retreat. And there were some who were practicing late into the night, who had even said that they were going to practice all night long. And so I was interested in that. I thought, well, that sounds fun. Why not try that? <laughs> that sounds good. Um, and as uh, some of the people who said that they wanted to do that seemed really, uh, I, I admired them. I quite admired them. Uh, and it seemed like they really had a lot of, like, energy and joy or a kind of depth, depth to their practice. Um, I admired them and wanted to emulate them. So, okay, I'll try that this time. And I remember seeing, uh, seeing one man sitting down and meditating as I was walking. And it seemed like, I don't know, he just had quite a remarkable appearance in his meditation. There was something that seemed very, very special about it. And so, me being who I was at that time, not me being who I am, but me being who I was, um, I can say that, uh, I bothered somebody else who was also walking. <laughs> Also at Spirit Rock, 
and near the end of her life, uh, although she's not so old, she went for a jhana retreat with Aok Saiba. He's a Burmese teacher who comes to lead retreats in the United States sometimes. And Shaila um, uh, actually attended his retreat on the East Coast not so long ago, and he'll be leading one on the West Coast, I think in April and May of this year. And he teaches Shaila practice. So uh, Margaret, in the last uh, the last couple of months of her life, even in the last weeks of her life, as she had cancer, uh, she attended that retreat and was developing that jhana practice. I remember being at the Tao Temple in Fremont when we received a phone call from the hospital that she had just passed away and asking if, uh, if myself and the other monks there would come. The hospital is not that far away, only about 15 minutes drive, so we went straight away. And um, we arrived at the hospital, I guess, about 20 minutes after she had died. When we opened, uh, actually, even before that, I think her family met us, and her family was glowing. The first thing that I noticed, her family was glowing. <laughs> And coming up to the desk also. The people at the desk were drawing. <laughs> What's going on here? And um, and then opening the door to the room, it was almost like this golden light was coming out of the room. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard about this or knew her, knew her well. Um, but opening the door, really, the room seemed filled with golden light. Her skin seemed golden, and uh, it was just, just amazing, this kind of radiance. It was filled up the room and spread out to the people at the desk and her family. And her family had not been so happy about this whole thing and uh, hadn't completely agreed with her spending the last months of her life off with a, off with a monk and meditation retreat, <laughs> rather, rather than with them. And uh, or so I heard it directly from them. Uh, they told me, we haven't been so happy about this before. Um, we weren't so sure about it. And we wanted to respect her and honor her, but actually we didn't like it. Uh, but the experience of being with her when she died and, and what happened, my guess is, it looked to me like she, she went, into, went into Jenna at the time of her death uh, or shortly thereafter. And so there was that, that, that atmosphere of it which actually came out very, very strongly and even you know, pervaded the room and, and pervaded the whole, the whole space around her. And when her family saw this, it completely, completely changed their idea. They felt the joy of it, the joy and the relief. And they shared that joy because they love her. And that's what happens when we love people. When they get really good things, you also feel you're not jealous, right? Not hateful. Uh uh, why do they have that and I don't? And you, you feel joy too. You share it. That's no detail, right? And, uh, and so they, they shared that joy, and they didn't think Buddhism was such a bad thing after all. And they, they really they welcomed us uh, in, in a most, most heartfelt and appreciative way. And I went to her memorial service afterwards. That was, uh, she had been practicing for a long time, so I can't say that it's only the Jana practice at that retreat. Uh, but certainly, 
certainly a good part of it. There was the joy, the sense of joy, and the sense of release, like a bird who's been in a cage and is let out quite free. You know, that sense of joy and freedom was just so pervasive. It was hard to have your heart not, not to throw it. it almost like, you know, when we have that kind of joy, if, if our ego is strong and we feel like, because of the binding, we feel like our heart's going to explode, right? It's trying to get out of the shell. <laughs> then we would like life to come out. And that, that's what comes from the release, uh, from, from the opening. Uh, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous experience. So that evening, when I saw that, that young man meditating in that way, I hadn't had any jhana instruction at that time, but I just looked. And that's what we can just know by seeing it. It's not even really intellectual. You just, you just know it by seeing it. So I thought, okay, again, why not try to... And inspired, sat down to meditate. And I just used the imitation. Only used the imitation of what I'd seen in, in being in that space with him and looking at him. And, and just the intuition of how he was concentrating and what state he was in. And used that as my nimita, which means like, uh, it can mean like a guide or a signpost or, or a vision that leads the way or shows you the way. Um, so sometimes that can be something visual or remembering the words of a teacher or or just an intuition in our own heart. Like the word freedom. That word uh, that that word even. And, and others can serve as that kind of that kind of uh, uh, guide or inspiration or trigger. So I sat down also. As, uh, as it looked like he was focusing and concentrating my mind, I, I, I did the same. And amazingly, it, it worked. Uh, just like that. And I went into very deep meditation. And I came more to him in the pajamas. This was a fluke. <laughs> uh, it might not be quite true, but uh, it wasn't like I've developed and cultivated this practice and been well instructed in it and, and all that. Um, but it worked. And uh, so I went into very deep concentration, uh, very, very deep meditation, and didn't come out of it until uh, I have to, like, it seems like entering into what's timeless. Almost like no, no time and no space even. Uh, those, those perceptions seem to, uh, seem to vanish. As you may have experienced with practicing mindfulness as well, uh, our ordinary sense of time and space uh, also, also opens up. What was more remarkable was uh, uh, upon opening my eyes and moving and rising, I noticed there was something different. And again, it's like like the frame had disappeared. Even as I sit here now, and maybe for all of you as well, it seems like the frame but the frame might seem like what you see of your own body. 
the idea of I am looking out through these two eyes from inside this body. The frame of identification with, with the body and the feelings connected with the body and, and all of the ideas that we connect with material form and, and with our body. That's like the visual, visual framework or the visual matrix right now, right? It's like I could still see just fine and uh, no confusion about location. It's not like my consciousness was looking from the other end of the room or you know, bouncing around off the walls or, um, or, or anything like that. Uh, but uh, that, that sense of there being a location of self, of being identified with the body, and the sense that the associated sense of there being self and other, me and you, I I being the center of the universe, the center of the world, right? But I point of view is like that. It seems like I'm sitting at the, the top of Mount Kailash, in the center of the world, uh, and everything else is turning around me. And the entire world is this is the central point of the world, you know. And that that had disappeared. And along with it I couldn't find any stress or any sense of discomfort. And ordinarily, I think even like in the body or uh, in, in speaking with people, there's some, some part of the mind that's right there with the grasping and rejecting. Do I like what this looks like or not? Do I like what they're saying or not? Do I like the ideas or not? The grasping and rejecting. Is the way this is just, just the appearance of this person up here. Is it, is it pleasing or not? Um, do I like the ideas that are sounding or not? Pretty active. Or this flower. How about its color? It's shaped, it's fallen. Maybe it's melted. Oh. <laughs> or maybe the water that it's in is cloudy and putrid smell. <laughs> or maybe it's just perfect. My favorite color. In full bloom. So, I had a, a temporary intuition uh, at that time. The, the effect lasted for about three days. And uh, at that time, I was not completely enlightened. But, you know, in, in that frame of mind, uh, I couldn't really find anything wrong. Uh, no, no, no sense of there being any kind of problem, really. And other people experience that as well. Like speaking together, when when that frame disappears, it's like you're 100% completely with the other people, without a sense of it being me and them. And just as what's going on inside your own own body and mind is clear, what what's happening in the environment and uh, and, and within others as well, it's also it's it's really pretty clear. 
and I could swing that grasping and rejecting attached to a sense of self that all the walls come up, that the walls are there, which here are our perception and awareness and, and true understanding of, of ourself and others, without saying self and others. But like the walls, the walls are down. Even if somebody else is putting up the walls like anything, it's like you just see right through it. They're not bothered by it. Whatever they try. <laughs> you may you may know what, what it is truly and have compassion for for any suffering. That there may be loving kindness and compassion uh, uh, but I think the overwhelming the overwhelming factor is more of, of equanimity. It's like there's nothing shaking, nothing rocking. It's uh, in the old definition of dukkha. Have you all heard the word dukkha? The, the, the Pali word is often translated as suffering. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, or suffering, all of all of those things. It's supposed to come from uh, from the language of the wheelwrights in ancient India, the people who made the wheels, so that the carts, the wagons, the chariots, and uh, uh, for all of you who have who have vehicles now and who drive. Uh, you know what it's like when you need to have your your wheels, your tires rebound when when they come out of balance. There's this wobbling, there's this shaking, right? And uh, it it can be really distressing, really disturbing. This, this this shaking back and forth. And when that happens, there's the tendency to go off in one direction or another, right? When when the wheel is not balanced, you don't go straight. It won't just naturally go straight. When it is balanced, just get straight as natural motion. There's no tendency to veer off to, to, to one side or the other, right? I think the grasping and rejecting is very much, uh, very much like that, and the mind is, uh, is balanced when it's true, when the wheel, when the wheel is true. There isn't the tendency to go off into likes and dislikes into love and hate. I don't mean the kind of pure love, but the kind of love that's like really, really greedy and you really like something, you really want to have it, and you're going to really suffer if you lose it, and, and that, that kind, like strongly liking something, or really feeling like you strongly have to have it. So when the, when the wheel is true, when the wheel is balanced, there isn't this tendency to go off into um, into liking and disliking so much, or grasping and rejecting. Just that, the natural tendency is, is, is straightness and balance. So, just a little bit of a talk on, uh, on, on two parts of freedom in the Buddhist teaching, uh, the freedom of non-grasping and the freedom of non-self. In Buddhist history, it said that 
the largest number of people have been enlightened, have realized Nibbana, or Nirvana, while listening to the Dhamma, especially a lot in the Buddhist time. Um, those, those people who've realized uh, Nibbana are, are called the Sangha of the Free Ones, uh, whether lay or monastic. And nirvana or nirvana is one of the, uh, like one of the synonyms of, of freedom. The second largest number are supposed to realize nirvana at the time of death. I think that's because it's such a natural time to, uh, if, if we have the time and space, this time, to release to let go. When we stop identifying so much with the body and everything connected with the body, it's that, uh, that, that opening, that, that release may naturally happen. Of course, it's not only available or possible at the time of death. This is what we're here for. In, in this practice. So, thank you very much for sharing this time uh, contemplating Dhamma. Uh, the Dhamma is non-grasping of non-self and, uh, and freedom with me this evening. And uh, I would like to wish you all very well with this practice. Uh, it has such uh, such great benefits, such good effects. As much as we do it, as much as we uh, as much as we practice with it. So I'd like to wish you the best with it. Uh, uh, welcome you all anytime, uh, either together or individually. Uh, welcome to the Dhamma Easy Heart. Although I don't think all of you could sit in here at one time. So oh, we've done that. We've done that. We've had, we've had 55 in at one time in the downstairs. Is that uh, amazing? People have to push open the door. <laughs> uh, so uh, welcome, welcome to all of you. And um, uh, thanks for spending a nice evening contemplating freedom together.